0: Please join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Today we're going to talk about our identity, our purpose. On our way there, let me ask this question. Have you ever read a book or watched a program where one of the characters suffers from amnesia? It's an interesting plot, right? When somebody wakes up and they don't know who they are. They don't know who their loved ones are. They don't know what they do for a living. That's an interesting plot. Now they tell us that actually that doesn't happen very often at all. It's extremely rare for somebody to have that type of amnesia. But it came to my mind when I thought about how many believers, I think, sometimes suffer from what we could call spiritual amnesia. They forget who they are in Christ. They forget their purpose for existing and they face life's decisions really with God not being in his rightful place and so here we are in 1 Corinthians 7 I think it's a very helpful passage for that to remind us of who we are in Christ that we have a purpose and that we should face our decisions with him looming large in all of that so let me ask you this do you know who you are do you know your purpose on the earth So with that in our minds, let's go into 1 Corinthians 7. Let's pick up in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ." You were bought with a price. Do not become bond servants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So here are the Corinthians. They've written to Paul with questions and among their questions, they have questions like this. Is it okay that we might come from a circumcised background or uncircumcised background? What about if I'm a slave or what if I'm free? Is there any, does that matter spiritually? Or what about my singleness? What about my married condition? Does this matter spiritually? Now, here's what I'm confident about. On your drive-in this morning, you likely didn't have these questions on your mind. Maybe the marriage single one, but nobody was asking about circumcision on the drive-in. Thankfully, nobody dealing with slavery versus being free here. But these were the very practical questions that the Corinthians were asking there in first century Rome. But Paul there, here, where he helps them with these practical questions, is going to point them and us to our fundamental identity in Christ to help them and to help us sort out the questions we have in our lives. So first thing for us this morning is this, remember your calling. In all that you face in your life, remember your calling. The Corinthians concerned about their conditions, their circumstances, which of these might be more spiritually advantageous. But Paul teaches them that their calling is more important than their circumstances. While some circumstances might be a bit better than others, really what matters most is wherever you find yourself, be a follower of Christ. And the key word Paul uses here in our text is that word called. So in verses 17 through 24, he uses that word called eight times. So more important than your circumstances is understanding that you've been called by and you've been called to Christ. Let me just remind you of what we just saw. Back to verse 17, listen for that word called. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. You might want to underline that word assigned. And to which God has, here it is, called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Back to verse 19. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So Paul's point, keep your focus on Christ and on his calling in your life. Now, when we hear that word called, typically we think about how we often use it like a pastor. He'll tell you when he was called into the ministry. Or a missionary might tell you, this is when I was called to missions. And that's completely valid. I've experienced both of those callings called to ministry in high school, called to missions while in seminary. But here he's speaking of a call that all of us who are in Christ have experienced a call from God out of sin and out of death a call out of that but to Christ for salvation a call to eternal life a call to freedom in Christ a call to a new purpose in life and so we know that time in our lives if we're believers when we called on God do you remember that maybe you don't recall the exact day but you might recall that time when you did call on Jesus to be your savior But the scripture over and over again teaches you that before you ever called on him, he was the one initiating. He had called you first. So that ability that you had to recognize your sin at last and to be concerned about it, that's because Jesus was initiating in your life that you could do that. He was calling you first. And that heart of yours that opened up to Christ at last, where you desired to repent and believe, that's because Jesus was calling you first. So notice the language here of 1 Corinthians 7 echoed throughout the New Testament. So mercifully, Jesus initiated your your salvation and graciously, Jesus laid claim to your life. In fact, I love the verse, verse 23, you were bought with a price. The second time Paul has spoken that way here in 1 Corinthians. So here, let's just pause on this. What an amazing love of God that he would call people to salvation with him. What an amazing salvation it is. So let me ask this. Do you know your new identity in Christ? If you're a Christian, do you know that? In fact, think with me, your old identity was simply this sinner. Your old identity, rebel. As Paul told the Ephesians, you were by nature children of wrath. That's the old you. But what a reversal Jesus has brought as he called you to himself. Now you are a child of God through faith in him. And so all of us come from various circumstances, like these Corinthians. They were worried about whether slave or free, circumcised or uncircumcised, single or married. But you and I, when we came to Christ, we also had a set of circumstances. So you were either young or youngish or old or oldish when Jesus called you to himself in salvation. This is part of your circumstances. Well, you might have also been financially well-off or you might have been financially poor when Jesus... Came and brought you to himself. You might have been a student or you might have been working some job somewhere, but all of us had a set of circumstances. Some of the things in our lives at that time were ideal, some things were less ideal, but the point is Jesus called you to himself. So here are the Corinthians. They were thinking about, is also recent for them. Well, some of them circumcised, some of them uncircumcised, some of them slaves, some free, some married. Again, not the questions you were asking this morning, but let's talk about it so we can understand it. So as for circumcision, Now, doesn't that sound like an odd thing to have spiritual significance to us? We think, why would that even be on their minds? But remind yourself of in the old covenant for the Jewish people, this was required. This was the law of God. It would be unthinkable to be a faithful Jewish person and not have your little boys and your grandsons circumcised. It was required. It was to set apart God's people from the other nations Really, it was one of the key ways that they would show their devotion to the Lord. It was a required sign of the covenant. But here Paul says to these believers in Corinth, in the new covenant, you know, uncircumcision or circumcision, it matters not at all. Verse 19, striking, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. So think of that old covenant. It was vital. It was essential. They had to do it. New covenant, Paul says, you don't need to do that at all. You don't need to worry about it. So if you were circumcised, meaning you were from a Jewish background and you've come to Christ, all that matters is you're in Christ. That matters not. If you came from a Greek background and you weren't circumcised, doesn't matter at all. Do you have Christ? You have a new identity in Christ. In our day, it's more of a preference issue. Nobody should ever think about this issue as having a significance spiritually at all so paul's point here on that issue keep your eyes on christ greek background jewish background you are in christ keep your eyes on him don't worry either way just keep following the commandments of god let's pause here for a second in such a such a key moment here when paul just sweeps away the importance of circumcision so again old covenant it was vital so how do we handle the old covenant as christians now Here's a question. How do we know what commands of the Bible we're supposed to do in the new covenant? Is it just as simple as somebody saying, "Eh, we're not going to worry about that anymore. Now, Paul was able to teach that because the Holy Spirit is guiding him in the new covenant. We knew this, but when it comes to us as believers in the new covenant, how do I know what parts of the Bible to follow? Here's how you know what has been restated from the old covenant in the new covenant. So in other words, you have a decision to face, you're wondering what's good, what's bad. You don't have to go back to Leviticus or Deuteronomy and read all those old covenant laws to decide, is that something I'm supposed to do? No, you look to the New Testament and you say, has has any of that been restated here? And those things that have been restated by the inspiration of the Spirit in New Testament scriptures, you know, all right, that's what I'll follow. Old Testament, still the word of God. That's salvation history for us. We look back and see how God was preserving a people for himself. Out of that, people would become a savior for the world. But we're not under those old covenant laws. We're under grace. We're in the new covenant. And that's why Paul can say, it really doesn't matter in the new covenant. Circumcision is not a focus for you. In fact, in the New Testament, when it talks about circumcision for us, it's a circumcision of the heart. Romans 2 verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. So here's the, here's the question in the New Covenant: Is your heart fully devoted to Jesus Christ? That's what matters here. So circumcision was a question. Paul gently reminded them, "Doesn't matter, Whatever background, it's Jesus for you." Now a second issue, the issue of slavery. And here it is again in verse 21. Were you a bond servant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. We hear that question go, how could that even be a question? The horrors of slavery, that's of course, terrible. And, and why, why would they even be wondering about that? Well, think about this in the Roman empire, many people were slaves. They tell us up to a quarter of the population of the Roman empire were enslaved to somebody else. And so isn't it good news? The gospel was reaching people who were free Roman citizens, but the gospel is also reaching those who were slaves. And so people are coming to Christ from these two different situations. And so is the question, what about slavery? And Paul makes the point Listen, if you can get free, by all means, get your freedom. It would be better not to be bound to some other mere human being. But he's writing to people who, in large part, can't be free. If they could be free, they'd already be free. If you ever get the chance, get your freedom. But you might not be able to here. But notice how Paul directs them to their identity in Christ. This might be something you can't change, but consider who you are in Christ. Back to verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bond servant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bond of men. So Paul's saying, whether slave or free, you belong to Jesus. Whether slave or free, Christ called you to himself. He loves you. He's going to use you for his glory. Again, think about how this would land with so many of the believers coming from a background and a present condition of being bond servants. Again, a quarter of the Roman population likely were slaves. By the way, as is, is bad as Roman slavery was, and it was bad, it really pales in comparison to the type of slavery that was here on our continent years ago. The slavery of the Roman empire was not racial. I mean, how horrible it was here due to your race, you would be enslaved and all that. But in the Roman Empire, you couldn't tell most times who was slave, who was free by appearance. You could have become a slave because you were conquered in battle. Maybe for some economic reasons, financial reasons, you could have become enslaved. And in Roman slavery, it was at least possible for many to be able to save money on the side to eventually purchase their freedom. And so Paul here is able to write to them, "If if you can ever have that set of circumstances when you can purchase your freedom, by all means, do it but most people couldn't and so he draws their attention but remember either way who you are in Christ you have value in Christ you're secure in Christ let's just pause here a second as well do you know this about yourself i love what paul said in verse 22 if if jesus found you and saved you when you were free he said remember though that you're the lord's bondservant and if you're a bondservant remember you're really free in Christ in the ways that really matter but Just for a moment, as we think about our identity, do you know that's your identity, that you are a bondservant of Christ, a slave of Christ? A lot of ways we describe ourselves as Christians. We'll talk about some of those again in a moment. But among the ways you view yourself as a follower of Jesus, is it clear in your mind that he's the master and you follow him, that you're his servant? I think sometimes we get a little too chummy with Jesus. I I love that we can be close to him and feel his love for us, but we have to be careful that we don't elevate ourselves in that relationship where it's almost like Jesus and you are peers. That that would not be accurate. He loves you, you're his child, all those other metaphors of the New Testament true. He's the vine, your branch, he's the shepherd, your sheep, all that. He's father, your child, beautiful. But but you also understand that he's my master and there's only one who leads this relationship. That I have to lay down everything. It's not, it's not Jesus and I making decisions, really. I want him to tell me what his decision is. I'm going to follow him. This is important for us as we follow him. Also this, we think about application for this. Thankfully, nobody here in the room we're dealing with slavery in this sense, thank the Lord. But you can make application to this in your own life. You may have some circumstances in your life where you feel trapped. And it might just be where you work. Plenty of people hate their jobs, and they would leave if they could afford to make a living some other way. So you might be here today, don't raise your hand, but you might say, I hate my job, but I can't make enough money doing some other job. I'd quit I'd quit tomorrow. I'd quit now. I'd send an email right now in the service if I could quit. Some people might feel that way. I don't like who I work with. I, I just feel demeaned, all that, but I'm trapped because I need the money. That, that feels like slavery. Again, what was happening in Rome was worse. Obviously what was happening in our country years ago, much worse. But there's application here. So so what do you do? And Paul would say, listen, your standing in Christ is not is not on the line with that. Whether you love your job or hate your job, whether you're free to try something else or not, understand God has called you. You're you're there for now anyway. You can seek to make a move, but if that move doesn't come, you're still secure in Christ. You have an identity in Christ. Colossians 3 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So you do hear that focus. Whatever your circumstances, you belong to Christ. It's true with the circumcision, uncircumcision question they had slavery or free. And now he comes back to what he's talked about a lot in chapter 7 back to the issue of marriage and singleness. And because we've talked so much about that, I'm not going to go down deep into that again today, but we are going to read all of these verses. You might remember a couple weeks ago, we read some of the later part of chapter seven when we took on this topic the first time, but we're going to reread it now. But so I want you to follow along in the scriptures, the lengthy passage. So stay focused with me, either listen carefully or follow along in your Bible. Let's read together now chapter seven, verse 25 and following. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now, verse 32. but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has discernment determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. That's a very interesting text there. By the way, there's a bit of a translation difference depending on your translation. uh, The scholars struggle with some of those Greek words there. Some of you might have a translation that talks about like a father giving his daughter in marriage to somebody she's engaged to, and whether or not he can give her in marriage or keep her unmarried. Or as the ESV does, it talks about how the bridegroom can decide I'm going to go marry her or no, we're going to not marry as I'm devoted to the Lord. Again, tricky words there in the Greek why they have to wrestle with what exactly is Paul saying. But here's the ultimate point. The point Paul is making is this. There are spiritual advantages to singleness. And he talks about here this, this ability to have undivided devotion to Christ. But in this chapter, he's also talked about there are spiritual advantages to marriage. And therefore, especially in the realm of morality. So the point Paul's making is you're not less if you marry and you're not less if you're single. You have not sinned if you marry and you have not sinned if you remain single. Just keep your focus on Christ, whether you're married or you're single. Remember to live out your calling in Christ, whether married or single. So with Paul, his focus is on Christ. And he's saying this, God might lead you in some circumstances to to get married. Or he might lead some to say, no, because of the times I'm not going to get married. By the way, he tells the widows here that they are free to remarry in the Lord. Verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think I too have the spirit of God. So to the widows, he says they are free to remarry. Interesting wording here. She can marry the person that she wishes. But one clarifying statement here, but only in the Lord. Do you see how her identity in Christ comes into the forefront there? She's in Christ. If she's thinking about marriage, if God leads her to and she wants to, she can marry, but that person must be also in Christ. So Paul advised that singleness is the maybe the more advantageous option as a single man himself. Remember he told us earlier in this chapter that he preferred it. He saw that as a gift for him, but nevertheless, no constraint, no command here. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in your life in these occasions. So let's talk about some principles. Again, these aren't the exact questions you came in with, but we can apply this to ourselves. Some principles, first of all, first principle is this, that God is sovereign over your circumstances. So here Paul talks about God called you out of a set of circumstances. God saw you there. God knew your circumstances, and it's still true. Wherever you find yourself in your life, whatever you're going through, whether it's easy right now or very, very difficult, God knows your circumstances. He cares for you right there. It is okay to seek to make a change in your circumstances. That's another principle here. Is it wrong to try to get a better set of circumstances? No, but you want to follow the Lord in that. Let him lead you to better circumstances. And if you can't change it, like you want to change it, but you can't, understand God has called you there at least for now and use it as a ministry for him right there. And the other principle is this, keep your focus on him and be faithful to his calling in your life. So you could be here today and you're in school and you don't wanna be in school anymore. Well, right now, that's where you are. That is your calling from God. That's your assignment from him. Now be faithful to Christ in your school. You might be in a job that you don't care for and you want to change it. Well, nothing's changed yet. So until it changes, be faithful unto Christ right there. That's your assignment. That's your ministry. You might be in a marriage right now that's not as fulfilling as you wish it were. Right now, be faithful in your marriage and consider all that God would have you do there. That is your calling for now. But now let's consider this. We've been talking about our identity, but how do we make these decisions? Because it's a very interesting passage where Paul says, I'm not pinning you in here. These aren't rules in every case. God has a different will for different people in these different circumstances. How do we handle that? So here's some help for us as we think about how do I discern God's will as one of his children? That's my identity. How do I know what his will is? So let's think through seven things real quickly. First of all, we would ask the question, well, who am I? When we face a big decision in our lives, we do need to remind ourselves, who am I? What is my identity? And we remind ourselves, oh, I belong to Christ. Years ago, I led a group through a disciple's path course. And in there, I love how they define a disciple. And by the way, that's what we are in Christ. We're disciples. Well, a disciple is a child of God. A disciple is an alien in this world. In other words, this is not our ultimate home. And a disciple is an ambassador for Christ. So Think about how important that is to know, this is who I am, and now I'm facing a decision. Everything really comes back to that. In fact, the New Testament even tells you more than that. You are a disciple, and all those things I just read are true. But in 1 Corinthians alone, we're told some other facets of our identity that we would appreciate. First of all, remember chapter 1, verse 2, where we're told that we were called to be saints. You are a holy one through the work of Christ in your life. Chapter 6, verse 19, we were reminded that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. That'll have a bearing on how you live your life and the decisions that you make. Or chapter seven, right where we are. Verse 22, we read it a moment ago, that if you're in Christ, you are a bondservant of Christ. So when you face a decision, you're in a very humble posture and you have to take the posture, Lord, you're my master. You're my leader. You lead the way. I yield 100% of the control over to you. You lead the way. So it's good to rehearse and remember your identity when you face your decisions. Here's another thing you can do is ask the question, how will this decision impact my purpose as a Christ follower? How will this impact? If I, if I go this way or that way, what bearing will this have on my walk with Christ? Here's another thing to ask. What has God said in his word? We'd say, really, this is first, isn't it? I want to know, has God spoken? I've got a decision to make. It may be a decision he didn't speak to directly in the word, but is there a word in God's word about this? This is critical. Can I tell you this? God will never lead you contrary to his word. People get weird at times and they'll say, well, I I know what the Bible says, but I feel like the spirit of God is telling me to go do this thing. That will never happen. The same Holy Spirit who inspired these scriptures Is the same Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, who lives inside of you, he'll never lead you contrary to what he already has told in the word. So if your emotions are telling you one thing, and God's telling you something in the word differently, go with the scriptures. You are mistaken. Go with the scriptures. But what about our emotions? Well, another thing we can ask is, well, what do I wish to do? What, What do I desire to do? So we come back to the idea of calling here. In fact, Paul uses the example of the widow here. She's told that she can marry whomever she wishes, only in the Lord. And so she has some some desire there in the matter. And so likewise, when God's calling you into something, he usually plants a desire for it in you to some degree. So I I think back when God called me to be pastor here 17 years ago, I remember getting a call from the search committee. And uh, when I got the call about giving a resume and being considered, I didn't hate the idea. And I didn't come here as pastor kicking and screaming. I, I don't like anything about this. But as, as, as the idea came and presented and began to pray about it, God created a desire here. Like, this could be good. I don't know if it's God's will or not. There's a whole church that has to decide whether this is of God. But, but I, on my side, there was a growing desire that, that that could be a really good thing. In fact, I remember before that, uh, when God called us to missions, I remember from my church in Alabama, in our house there, I remember begging God to send me to this people group in Central Asia. I thought I must be called if I'm begging God to send me that's got to be a call of course I was waiting on God to confirm that in joy which joy was always willing she said that's lordship of course I'll go I just need to know he's wanting us to go and settle settle that out so I had a desire my my point is when God's calling something usually there's some level of desire for it but listen that's not the whole story though because your emotions can play tricks on you here's what happened to me begging God to send me get over to Central Asia three weeks in I got some new emotions America's looking really good right about now. I don't think I can do this. And so if I let my heart then go, well, now I have a desire, he must be calling me home. It doesn't work that way. Your emotions are telling you that, yeah, maybe, maybe this was some big test. No, no, in reality, uh, you have to overcome some feelings to stay on the call with God. In fact, even then you have that, that desire. All right, I am, I am longing for home now, but I have a desire to be faithful. I have a desire to stick this out. It has gotten harder. This isn't 100% fun let me stay on track here. But it is, it is a factor in, in following God's call. Typically, he's calling you. He's going to give you a desire, at least for faithfulness, even to do a hard ministry. He's calling you to. Here's another thing we would consider. We kind of touched on this. What is most advantageous to me following after Christ? Again, in the context here, Paul brings up singleness or marriage. Both of them have advantages depending on the person, however he's leading them. And so you're you're just asking, will, will being married help me serve you better, Lord? Or will being single help me to serve you better? Will I be able to give you undivided devotion? Lord, I just want what's best for me serving you. And then this one, how about timing? How about timing? Paul brings it up here. In the context of singleness and marriage, he says here, in light of the present distress, he gave this counsel. Basically saying you, you do well in light of what we're going through here in the Roman Empire and what's coming. You, you might do well. Just stay in the condition that you're in. So you and I, when we're facing decisions, the timing can matter. When you're thinking the context, you know, I'm making this decision in a point in time. So for the the Corinthians, they were facing rising persecution in the Roman Empire. Even the Jewish citizens were dealing with persecution. Christianity now with Nero in power, they're starting to feel the heat. Paul writing from Ephesus where there was a citywide uproar because of the gospel. Paul said, it's getting tough. There's a present distress. Make your decisions based on that. One man wrote it this way. When high seas are raging, it's not time for changing ships. So you might assess, I've got this decision, but as I factor in the timing here, I don't know that we're supposed to make this big jump that that might have in other times might have been a better move for us. But these are things you're discerning. And then finally, this, as we're trying to make decisions, as understanding our identity in Christ, trying to get God's leadership here, we might even ask this question well, what what is available? This is where we come into that realm of open doors and closed doors. It's not the whole story. Not every open door is one you're supposed to go through, obviously. But God can do that. You can be seeking God for direction. Lord, I just want you to lead the way. I just want to be in your will. Would you show me? And I think it's this. And then you pursue a path and a door opens. You think that, that could be part of the answer here, but not the total story. But then another door opens and you can sense that, okay, I've got all these things lining up. The word of God's con- convicting me in this direction. And now I'm going to walk through here. But can a closed door also happen? You ever had a time in your life where I really think this is what I'm supposed to do. And then a door closes and it stays closed and you discover, okay, apparently God did not want me to go that way. God can speak through these ways. Well, Henry Black years ago uh, wrote a study that a number of us through the years have gone through called Experiencing God. And one of the helpful things of that study years ago was where he said, how, how do you know God is uh, his will for your life? And he talked about how God speaks to us and really just summarizes what we've just talked about. God speaks through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church. So we talked about that. God's going to speak to you clearly through the word, and that's certainly going to give you the guidance you need. Never go outside outside of what he's told us. But he also speaks through prayer. There are things that aren't specifically spelled out in the scriptures, and so you're seeking God. Lord, would you show me what your will is? And God can give you some inclination of, of what he wants you to do through those times of prayer. But as we just said, he can speak through circumstances, doors opening, doors closing. But I love this also. God can speak to you through the church. Bible first, but these others he can be part of what he uses. And so that means you can come alongside a brother or sister in Christ and say, look, I'm praying through something big. Can can you pray with me about this? And somebody might have a word of wisdom to kind of help you sort that out. Well, we started at the beginning here singing to the Lord, celebrating our salvation. We've been talking about our identity in Christ. I want to close right there. Today do you know you can have a new identity? You can go from one who has the identity right now as sinner. One who has the identity right now of rebel running from God. And that can all change right here in these moments where you can say, I don't want to run from God anymore. I sense He's calling me to Himself. What kind of God would want me? And He's calling yourself. You can stop running from Him. You can run to Jesus today. You can be one who's no longer a child of wrath. You can be one who's a child of God and have heaven as your eternal home and have His love and presence and purpose right now in your life. You say, Why would I be Jesus? Because Jesus is the perfect one, and he loves you. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He died on a cross to cover your sins. He was raised from the dead, and he did make this wonderful promise that if you believe in him, you won't perish, but you'll have instead everlasting life. And so you can have a brand new identity, brand new purpose today, brand new peace today if you'll call on Jesus. Ask Jesus right now to be your Savior. Let's bow our heads. I I want to give you a moment to do that. This is what it means to put your faith in Jesus. You, you ask him, you express your faith by saying, Jesus, I see that I'm a sinner. I see that I've been running from you. I don't want to do that any longer. I recognize I'm wrong and you're right. I recognize what you did on the cross for me and I need what you did. I need you. So, Jesus save me, forgive me, lead me. I take up the posture of a bondservant. You're the leader. Lord, would you lead me from now forevermore? Now, let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for friends, either watching on the live stream or in the room, who have put their faith in you. They've called on you. God, would you help them now to grow strong in you as a disciple, to follow in baptism and to to be an instrument in your hands, an ambassador of yours, do great things in their lives. Lord, for those who've been Christians for a long time, as we face different circumstances that we like and don't like, help us to keep our eyes on you. As we face decisions, do we go this way or that way? Help us in that, Lord, to keep our eyes on you. Lead us clearly as we ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.